All right, so I got the alarm here. Um, and we'll be picking up pretty much where we left off last week. Um, but we'll, we'll start with a prayer here. Um, Lord, we just thank you, Lord, for this day. This is the day that the Lord hath made. We will rejoice and be glad in it, Lord. And we just want to honor and praise you here, Lord. Uh, just help us to learn more about you. Help us to seek you in all aspects of our lives, Lord. Help us not to lose our focus from you, Lord. Um, and provide us that correction, the minor, the tweaks that we need, Lord. Help, help us to welcome that, Lord. Help us just to um, embrace everything you have. Have your perfect patience just, just work in us, Lord, and mold us to uh, what you would have us to be, Lord. And in the name of Jesus we pray, Lord. Amen. Amen. Um, so last week, just a quick kind of recap here. Um, we talked about Jesus as the judge mentioned in Revelation 1. And we saw kind of that strange imagery um, of uh, Jesus walking around those seven lampstands and holding those seven stars in his hand and how God made it very, very clear um, what that meant. We're, um, we're reading there in Revelation one twenty, um, Revelation one twenty, um, the mystery of the seven stars, which you saw in my right hand and the seven golden lampstands, the seven stars are the angels to, of the seven churches. And angels, as we discussed, it can mean messengers. It can mean pastors. So that's to the angels, the, the pastors of those churches. And the seven lampstands, which you saw, are the seven churches. And we discussed how those churches all existed in that time. Um, but they're also representative of uh, the church as a whole today. Uh, different, different things that churches are doing right and different things that churches are doing wrong. And, um, and we see that um, in chapters uh, 2 and 3 there when they kind of goes through each one and uh, what they're getting right and wrong there. Um, and so you have those seven churches. You have the church of Ephesus, and we have the church of Smyrna. And the church of Smyrna, God's very pleased with. They endure a lot of persecution, but he's pleased with one with them. We don't read repent or else. Um, everything there is, it's, uh, hey, job well done in this and this. Um, and then Pergamos is the third one there. Thyatira, the fourth one. Sardis. Um, Philadelphia, he's also pleased with. Um, we'll, be studying, we'll be spending most of our time there in Philadelphia, just looking at them and uh, how we need to um, have our church just focus kind of what they focused on. And then it ends with Laodicea. And um, we only read about two of those churches in the Bible. Um, you have kind of both bookends. You have Ephesus, and then you have Laodicea. And so we're probably familiar with uh, Ephesus, but Laodicea, we see that one in um, Colossians 2.1. Colossians 2.1. Um, I don't know if anyone wants to take this one. Emily, you're up here. Do you want to take that one for us, Colossians 2.1? Sure. Thanks. Uh, yeah, so their hearts are encouraged. Sorry, I, I guess one through three there. Sorry about that. Uh, yes, please. Okay. That their hearts might be comforted, be knit together in love, and unto all riches of the full assurance of the understanding to the acknowledgement of the mystery of God and of the Father and of Christ, in whom are there all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Thank you. Um, what, so what's interesting here when we think about these churches, they had the Apostle Paul speaking to them. Some of them speaking directly, some in letters. And it's interesting what they get right and what they manage to get wrong, the air that they embrace. Um, even having the Apostle Paul there um, writing to them and, and, and helping them. Um, but a quick recap 
on the uh, church of Ephesus, um, going there to Revelation 2 2. Um, Revelation 2 2. Um, I know your works, your labor, your patience, and that you cannot bear those that are evil. Um, you have tested those that say they are apostles and are not, and have found them liars. And it's great that they got this right. Um, Paul warns them about this in Acts 20, 29, Acts 20, 29. It says, For I know this, that after my departure, savage, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Also from among yourselves, men will rise up, speaking perverse things, to draw away the disciples after themselves. Therefore watch and remember that for three years I did not cease to warn everyone, night and day, with tears, um, and they got this part right. They actually um, uh, made a point to uh, not allow them to get the, the deal with the savage wolves there. Um, they listened to um, them. But what they did wrong is they left their first love. And I don't know what that looked like, but somehow they took on a different headship. Somehow they took their focus off of Christ and put it on something else. And it's easy to do. Um, in our lives, I think it often creeps up as something innocent. Um, whatever that might be, but that takes the precedence of uh, making that, that Bible study a priority, making our faith a priority, uh, making the church a priority. Whatever that looks like, it can creep in. It's easy to do. We have to be on guard to that. Um, but the thing that they did do um, well, though, also, uh, Revelation 2.6, um, but this you have that you hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. And as we talked about the Nicolaitans, that's basically some authority other than Christ. It's almost like we're giving man an authority and not Christ, and that's wrong. Christ is always going to be the head of the church, the head of the body. Uh, we have to be looking to him, not to men, not to a, a board of members or a group of a board, not to uh, a clergy. We have to be going to the word of God and looking to Christ. Um, and they hated the, uh, the deeds of the Nicolaitans. And, and God likes that. Um, later on in Revelation, you'll read about a church that they embrace that almost as a full-blown doctrine. And it's bad. And um, God has a lot of correction. Jesus has a lot of correction for them that do that. And then the, the next church that um, we read about was that church in Smyrna. And we touched briefly on them last week. And they go through a lot of persecution, but Jesus is pleased with them. We don't read repent. We don't read uh, this thing I have against you. Um, so Revelation 2.8, to the angel of the church of Smyrna write, so the angel, again, the, the messenger, the pastor, these things, things says the first and the last, he who was dead and has come to life, I know your works, tribulation and poverty, but you are rich. Um, their riches are in heaven. I know the blasphemy of those who say you are Jews and are not, but are of the synagogue of Satan. I kind of want us to focus on that passage because I feel like that terminology can almost be a little like almost scary, kind of confusing, kind of what is God really talking about there? And we'll address that here. Um, but do not fear those things which you um, are about to suffer. Indeed, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison that you may be tested and you will have tribulation 10 days. Be faithful until death and I will give you the crown of life. Um, he who has an ear, let him hear to what the Spirit, we have to be listening to the Spirit as follows our, uh, our leading, our guiding, uh, says the churches. He who overcomes shall not be hurt by the second death. Um, going back to that part about the synagogue of Satan, uh, it can be difficult to understand, but as crazy as it sounds, 
Um, we might have even driven past a few on our way over here. The synagogue of Satan is more just air within the church. Um, God hates air. Um, think of air, um, anything that isn't of God that's being preached, um, it's, it's a lie. And God does not want that in any place in our church. We have to be diligent to not let that creep in. Um, we'll read about that again when we get to the church of Philadelphia here. Um, but basically, yeah, they're preaching a lie as gospel truth, and that's morally wrong. That's wrong all around. Um, in John eight forty four, um, John eight forty four. I'll give you a minute to get there. Um, we'll read. You are of your father, the devil. The desires of your father, you want to do. So they want to do the desires of the devil. There, um, he was a murderer from the beginning, and does not stand in truth. For there is no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks on his own resources. For he is a liar and a father of that. And so we have to separate the organizations saying the false, saying the untrue things, the ungodly things, from the individuals in the organization. God loves the individuals. It's organizations, though, that pushing that, the, the false doctrine that he does not like. Um, and it's crazy that we can see this. So, like, uh, an extreme example of this I was kind of thinking about, um, and this is a Protestant church. Um, when I was a child, there was a cult just outside of Waco, Texas. So anyone probably the age of 40 or over probably remembers it. It made the news almost every night there for maybe, I don't know, two months or so. And um, we would talk about it as kids, like, in class, but we didn't really understand anything that was, talk- what was going on there. But I remember in English class our freshman year, my freshman year of high school, so probably like 10 years later, um, we were talking about it, and we were reminiscing about that, that, the activities there. And it was weird because you had a cult, then they had a standoff with the FBI, which that's just not common at all. And so we remembered that part that they had a standoff. We also remembered that it ended with a large fire. And then we remembered that the FBI had tanks. And we were like, why did the FBI have army tanks? None of us could remember why. Like, it was all kind of like foggy in our memory of what was going on there with that. Um, but then this past spring, I ended up watching a documentary on it, one of those um, streaming services, and about that cult. And they're interviewing some of the cult members, and they're talking about their beliefs in God. And they're saying that, like, what they believe, and they're going off for truth after truth after truth, and like, not along with it. Like, this is accurate. This is scriptural. Like, yeah, I agree with these people. Um, and they, there's significant truth that they lay hold of. But then they say things that are completely blasphemous and just catches you off guard. You're like, whoa. It like almost causes like the, the hairs on the back of your neck to stand up. You're like, how do they believe that? And what's so frustrating as a believer watching this is they have their Bible in their hand the whole time. They have their roadmap in their hand. They have the answers that with their correction right there. But for whatever reason, they're believing this false doctrine. And it's easy to um, let that seep in and do if we aren't dedicated to the word and seeking out truth. Um, so it's just kind of an extreme example of the, the synagogue of Satan, but any church that's not preaching uh, the gospel in its entirety um, could, could fall to that um, mistake there. Um, but for time's sake, we have those seven churches there. Let's just focus more on the, the church that God's pleased with, or that Jesus is pleased with there, the church of Philadelphia, um, what we can learn from that one. Um, Ian, do you mind taking this one here? It's Revelation 3, 7 through 13. Uh, yes, please. And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, These things says he who is holy, 
who has the key of David, he who opens and no one shuts, and shuts and no one opens. I know your works. See, I have set before you an open door, and no one can shut it. For you have a little strength, have kept my word, and have not denied my name. Indeed, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan, who say they are Jews and are not, but lie. Indeed, I will make them come and worship before your feet, and to know that I have loved you. Because you have kept my command to persevere, I also will keep you from the hour of trial which shall come upon the whole world to test those who dwell on the earth. Behold, I am coming quickly. Hold fast what you have, that no one may take your crown. He who overcomes, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God, and he shall go out no more. I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down out of heaven from my God, and I will write on him my new name. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Thanks, I appreciate it. Um, so let's look at that last part there. Um, let's address um, that, that lofty position that this church has there. Um, we read, he who overcomes, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God, and he shall go out no more. I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem. And we see that in Revelation 21.2. So that new Jerusalem there, then in Revelation 21.2, then I, John, saw the holy city, new Jerusalem, coming out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. This is a picture of that, that bridal company there. This is that lofty position that they have there. Um, so there, in everything that we read there, it wasn't a repent or else or, or this you're doing wrong. Everything was just kind of a, more of a, a praise, a, a good job. A, you guys are getting this right. Um, and then we read there, though, I will write him a new name. And what's the name that Jesus hasn't taken yet? It's, it's groom. Um, there's, they're going to be the, that bride, bridal company. They're going to be there. They're going to have that highest place there. And how do we get to that closest place of fellowship with God? We lay hold of it now. Now's our time to lay hold of that. Um, so jumping back to that first part there, um, Revelation uh, 3, 7, kind of, kind of that second part there. These things says, he who is holy, he who is true. That's Jesus there. He who has the key of David, who opens and no one shuts, uh, who opens and no one shuts, and shuts and no one opens. I know your works. See, I have set before you an open door, and no one can shut it. Um, it's of him. It's not of ourselves. We pray often for God to open the right doors in our lives and shut the wrong ones. And that's what they're doing here is seeking that. Um, in Psalms uh, 75, 6 and 7, uh, Psalm 75, verses 6 and 7, we read, For exaltation comes neither from the east nor the west nor from the south. But God is the judge. He puts down one. He exalts another. He's the one that opens the door. He's the one that shuts the door. We need to be seeking that in our lives. Um, that part there about a little strength, that's not a bad thing. We are fools if we think we are strong and we don't need Christ. Um, we have to get to that point where we're just completely dependent on Christ. Um, we'll read in 2 Corinthians, probably a passage we're all familiar with, 2 Corinthians uh, 12, 10. Um, 2 Corinthians... 1210. Therefore, I take pleasure in affirmities, in reproaches, in needs, in persecutions, in distresses, for Christ's sake. 
for when I am weak, then I am strong. So they're saying, oh, for you are weak. That's not a bad thing, what she's telling them, which we, we all know. Um, but it's hard to take the pleasure in the infirmities. It's hard to see God's hand necessarily when we're going through a trial. But we can take the peace that knowing that God is working something good there for our uh, eternal blessings there. Um, they have kept his word. Um, we read that there. Um, they have to know his word in order to keep it. So they're obviously diligent in studying out the gospel, as we should be. Uh, they didn't deny his name. Unlike the church of Ephesus, they didn't take up another headship. They didn't lose their first love. They didn't take their um, sight off of Christ, which we should be doing exactly like they're doing here. Um, and then we see that terminology there, Revelation uh, Three nine. Indeed, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who say they are Jews and are not, but lie. Indeed, I will make them come and worship before your feet and know that I have loved you. And this is a difficult one to understand, and I struggle with it. But starting with that last point, to know that I have loved you, um, is one of those things like, oh, I thought God loved the world. And yes, he does. We read that in John 3.16. But you mean he loves others more? Um, he has a deeper relationship with them. Um, our pastor probably has a genuine love for all of us and probably prays for us often, but he has a special place for his wife, a, a deeper relationship with her. And that's what we want. Um, in the book of John, we've, we've studied this out plenty even recently, um, he refers to himself as the disciple Jesus loves. And um, I would say that's accurate. I don't think it's... Uh, inappropriate for him to say that john was the one that leaned on jesus chest at the last supper all the disciples had that opportunity um he was the only one that took it um as far as uh jesus earthly possessions jesus committed his mother to john that was the one that he wanted uh to take care of her um there's just not all christians take that have that same degree of love for jesus and so there's a special bridal love for the believers that love him most Think that um, rib portion coming out of the body of Christ. Um, we see it again, um, that pearl of great price, the uh, parable there in Matthew 3, or Matthew 3, Matthew 13, 45. And those parables there, they follow exactly along with the churches that we read here, the seven churches, the seven parables there, that, that correlate perfectly, just right in order. It's, it's a study worth studying. Um, but just for time's sake here, we'll just look at that one there. Matthew thirteen forty five. Um, again, the kingdom of heaven is like the merchant seeking beautiful pearls, and it's pearls plural, who when he has found one pearl of great price, the, the bride, um, has sold all that he had and bought it. Um, and and that's, that's what God wants from us. He, he wants us to, uh, to be that great pearl, that pearl of great price there. Um, moving on to the earlier part in that verse, where we see the people from the synagogue of Satan, where is this taking place? Is this taking place in heaven? Are unbelievers in heaven? No. So these are believers. So they're the ones that will believe on the uh, resurrection power there of Christ. And so it's just interesting that they call them the uh, synagogue of Satan there. But they're bowing down to the te- teachings of Satan, and anything that is not truth is error. So we just have to be cautious of that. Um, but then Revelation thirteen ten or not 13, Revelation 3, 10, because you have kept my command and persevered, I will also keep you from the hour of trial which shall come upon the world to test those who dwell on earth. Um, kept my word, and the King James Version calls it patience, but perseverance, um, similar. 
willingness to stay with something until Jesus has finished what he started. And that's what we have to be doing in our walk. Um, in James 1, 4, James 1, 4. I'll give you some time here to get there. We read, um, but let patience have its perfect work that you may perfect and complete, lacking nothing. And that's exactly what we need to be seeking in our lives, just to be open to having Jesus just just work in us. Um, He will keep them out of the tribulation. These people won't enter the tribulation. They will see zero part of it. The people that are looking for his coming, that are are, uh, seeking it, they won't not enter that. And that's a blessing that we should lay hold of. I know sometimes we can be like, oh, these different judgments are going to come. They can be scary. If we're focused on the right things, we will not even enter that. Um, And then here uh, on uh, verse 11 there, Behold, I am coming quickly. Hold fast what you have, that no one may take your crown. Um, It's that right to reign conjointly with the Lord Jesus, and that's what he wants for everybody. Not everybody will lay hold of that position that he has for us, but he wants us all to rule with him. We read that in 2 Timothy uh, 4.8. 2 Timothy 4, 8, bitter about that crown of righteousness. We read, uh, finally, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, which we saw him there in Revelation, will give me on that day, not to me only, but to all who have loved his appearing. We have to love his appearing, um, but he has a crown for all of us that, well, I don't think it's going to be a small company. I think there's going to be, we know of every tribe, every kindred, every nation, every tongue. Um, is going to make up that bride. We have to be loving him and seeking him. Um, he who overcomes, I will make a pillar in the temple of my God um, and shall go out no more. How do we become a t- pillar in the temple of God? This is kind of uh, beating the drum here. We do it now. We lay hold of that now. We become a pillar in the church now. Um, and so maybe that's not being called a, a missionary to Paraguay or, or whatever, kind of, kind of the extreme. It's just being faithful um, in our daily lives, whatever that might be. Um, so being faithful to God in uh, being a parent or uh, being married or in, in your work there, just, just reflecting Christ in uh, everything we do. And it's not always going to be easy. Uh, Molly, you're still studying nursing? I, don't know, I probably should. Okay, good. Um, so in nursing, you're probably going to experience patients that um, are super kind, super awesome. You'll have patients that are probably just normal. And then you'll probably have awful patients. And you have to be kind to everybody. We have to show the light of Christ to everybody. Um, and everything we're doing, we just have to uh, become that pillar there. Um, and same like some of them will have good hygiene, some of them will have awful hygiene. And you're still going to have to deal with those people and, and be that light. Some of them will probably haven't seen anyone um, spiritual or kind in a while. And you're just going to have to be there and be willing to pray for them and lift them up um, and, and be that pillar there. Um, and that's kind of what we see there. And if we do that, like we just read there in Timothy, God will place that crown on our head, and that's, that's what we want. We want that highest calling there. Um, kind of running through the other churches there, uh, starting there with uh, Pergamos, they're, they're compromising. And it's, this is what it kind of says here, the compromising church. Basically, the church of Ephesus loses its headship. All the rest of these churches, they, they lose their focus off of Christ, but it even gets worse. Um, these things says he who has a sharp two-edged sword. I'm oh, sorry, this is Revelation uh, 2.12. So we're kind of jumping back to, to where we left off there. Um, uh, Revelation 2.12. These things says he who has a sharp two-edged sword. 
I know your works and where you dwell, where sweet Satan's throne is. And you hold fast my name and do, do not deny my faith. But in the days which Antiochus, my faithful servant, martyr, was killed among you, Satan dwells. But I have a few things against you, because you have those which hold the doctrine of Balaam and Balak to put a stumbling block before the children of Israel, to eat things sacrificed to idols, and to commit sexual immorality. Thus you have those uh, who hold the doctrine of the Nicolaitans. Again, we see the Nicolaitans there. Which things I hate. Repent is what he's telling them, or else I will uh, come to you quickly and fight against them with the sword of my mouth. Um, so we remember that uh, Balaam and Balak, that was that one where the whole donkey talks. That's the part I always remember about that one. Because it's almost like he doesn't even see it as bizarre. He, he's like so like upset about it. Um, that's basically the um, either saying things. Stop this here. Saying things, preaching for profit, or leaving out things for profit. And it's just interesting. Like each of these churches, they do even more and worse things or things even like just being complacent, not seeing their need for God. You'll read in one of them. Other ones, they embrace doctrine that's completely foul. Um, and we're seeing that today. Um, recently, even this month, we saw um, a guy in Dallas get kicked out of his church organization for taking a stand against them because they were trying to decide like how they want to see embrace um, transgenderism, how they want to do about uh, homosexuality and as the church, how they want to deal with other issues. And this guy in Dallas, Texas, actually says, "Hey, this is wrong." And he questioned it, and he got fired from his position, which I actually think is a blessing for the guy because you see, "Come out of her, my people," um, written later, but is. It's one of those things we're going to be facing in society, and we have to be willing to go, okay, the world tells me this. What does God tell me? Um, even something even simple, um, uh, two genders, pretty simple truth to grasp a hold of. The world's going to tell you, oh, you're, you're narrow-minded. I hope we're so narrow-minded we're focused only on the word of God. Um, I, I almost feel sorry for some of these kids here having to deal with some of this nonsense, but if we stay focused, we can still have that crown of life. We just have to focus there on the word of God um, and that, that's all I have there.